This is Health Call Live. We're glad you're listening, but don't be afraid to call and ask your question on the air. It's free, non-invasive, and best of all, you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. Yeah, we are all just sick and tired of this whole COVID thing, right? I've, I've, I've talked to so many people who say when, when I hear her on the radio or TV anything about COVID, I just kind of tune out. Well, guys, this one I think we need to pay attention to. There is a new variety of this virus called Omicron. That's the name that they've now assigned it, even though it was first discovered in Botswana, a small country in Africa just north of the, the nation of South Africa. So here is here is what we need to know. There were uh, cases in South Africa were ticking along at about 200 a day, and then bam, not long ago, it spiked to about 2,500. So they started looking at this and going, hey, something's up here, right? And they sequenced the virus. They took a look at everything that was going on, what makes up all the tools that the virus uses to compose itself, the protein structures. And they found that this is something new. It's different, a variant. Just like Delta was different, this one even more different. The spike protein that the virus uses to attach to your body is 32 little changes on it and and that makes it they think more contagious will it be more dangerous we just don't yet know so it's something to be watching very closely for it has already been on the move it's escaped out of south africa they've spotted it in germany and and many countries around the world so they're locking down flights and trying to keep this thing under check but it's going to do what viruses do, and it's going to spread. So eventually it is going to come here. What do we need to know about that? Well, so far, everybody wants to know, is it going to be more dangerous? We don't have the answer. Is the virus going to be able to escape the vaccine? We don't have the answer. There's a lot we don't know. And in times like this, I always turn to a guy named Dr. John Campbell for a very fact-based analysis of what is happening with COVID. He is a nurse and a longtime medical educator from England who's just been spot on from very, very early on in identifying trends and really making sense out of the studies and data collected from all around the world that matter. He is very concerned about what this form of the virus could mean, but he also points out that we're still in the early, early days, and despite the news that are screaming a big, bright red warning, there is a slim chance that this form of the virus could actually be good news. If this is true, what, me, what this means is this is the new variant that will now take over the world. This will now become the dominant variant for the pandemic. Now, the travel restrictions are going to slow it down, which is good because we need time to learn more about it, possibly to tweak vaccines. We want to slow it down as much as we can. But eventually that's going to spread around the world. If it is that much more contagious, this is going to spread around the world. That means I, I'm going to be exposed to the, to, to, the, to the Omicron variation. You are almost certainly. Uh, what we have to do is be as well prepared for that as possible. Uh, I don't want to be alarmist about this, but th this is a big, this is a quite a big thing. South Africa fully vaccinated proportion is 24%, very low, and that has allowed this to spread rapidly, we believe, because the vaccines will give some protection against this. It's just a case of how much. Now, the question is, is when this variant arrives, as it will, in a highly vaccinated country, such as the United Kingdom, Germany, Canada, um, the United States, relatively high vaccinated country, what will happen there? So we know it spreads rapidly through a country with 24% full vaccination rate. We don't know what's going to happen when it hits a highly vaccinated country. Um, 
but if it's got immune escape, that means it probably will uh, spread throughout that country. Now, one, one glimmer of hope here is if, if this turns out to be highly contagious, but it turns out it makes people a lot less sick, then this could be a really good thing because it would go around the world, everyone would catch it, everyone would develop herd immunity, and if it's not making anyone sick, then that would be brilliant. But of course, we don't know that yet. We do not know if the pathogenicity is the same, slightly less, a lot less, massively less, the same, slightly more, a lot more, one heck of a lot more. We, we, we simply don't know that yet. Breakthrough infections have been reported following Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Breakthrough of infections have been reported following Pfizer-BioNTech full vaccination. Breakthrough infections have been reported following Ox Oxford-AstraZeneca full vaccination. So there are, we, we don't know how many, but we know that there are breakthrough infections after all three of the vaccine types used in South Africa. Younger people appear to be uh, contracting and spreading the disease. School age population, um, young adult population seem to be spreading the disease. Are they getting sicker from this than they would have done from the previous variant? We don't know. But there's certainly been a lot of contagion in younger age groups. Pfizer say they need two weeks to assess the variant's new impact. We'll need two weeks at most, so they'll do it within two weeks, to assess how well the coronavirus vaccine works against their new uh, Omicron variant. And they say may require an adjustment to our vaccine if the variant spreads globally. Now, the Oxford AstraZeneca, the Johnson & Johnson, the Pfizer and the Moderna can all tweak their vaccine fairly readily uh, to fit a new type of um, um, SARS coronavirus too. This could be a uh, good thing if it turns out to be very, uh, <coughs> if it turns out to make not people not make people sick, and then as we say, lots of people get herd immunity, but no one will get sick. It could be good, or if this makes people a lot sicker, or if this makes young people sicker. I'm afraid this could be pretty bad news. If I had to sort of make a bit of a guess on this, which isn't really a good idea, I would, I would imagine that all the various variants so far have been roughly comparable in how sick they've made people. So I would hope it wouldn't make people a lot sicker. I don't think there's a lot of hope it will make people less sicker. I just, I just hope, I just hope it won't make people more sick. Um, but there are going to be, unfortunately, a massive number of increased breakthrough infections again we have to hope that the breakthrough infections in people that have had the disease and the people that are vaccinated are going to be mild i suspect there's going to be more breakthrough infections in people that are vaccinated than there are people that have suffered from the actual disease because the vaccines are specific to the spike protein and the 32 mutations on the omicron variant are on the spike protein Whereas if you've had the natural infection, you're going to make antibodies for about 22 different antigen proteins in the virus. They therefore have a much wider spectrum of immunity. So people that have been exposed to the natural virus are probably going to have more protection against the Omicron variant than people that have only been uh, vaccinated. But that is somewhat speculative. We await more definitive news. And um, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not 
it's not good it's uh, all this time and then this is really really is a uh, things look to be getting better and this is a bit of a kick in the teeth to be quite honest yeah it is kind of a kick in the teeth isn't it so just to be clear this omicron variant will be good news if we find it after it sweeps around the world that it causes minor illness and bizarre as it sounds that has happened before in fact some people think that's exactly how the spanish flu pandemic of 1918 that is 1918 came to an end there are some researchers who think that after the waves of the virus reached around the world way back then along came a mutation that kind of put itself out of business instead of making people violently ill it mutated into a mild disease that people survived and then kind of herd immunity kicked in and and then the virus couldn't find anybody new to infect and and then the pandemic came to an end you know here's something to keep in mind and that is the media just thrives on bad news and if you want reasoned sort of analysis and explanation dr john campbell of youtube gets my vote so you can just go to youtube look for dr john campbell he posts daily and does really a nice sort of even reasoned analysis of data collected from literally around the world so worth paying attention to if you want to track this thing really curious to see what's going to happen the vaccine manufacturers say they can modify their vaccines in about 100 days so three months or so so think about what that means we'll be past christmas into the new year everybody is saying that you know we're not going to do any more lockdowns that's that's been coming from the the top levels of our government saying no we're not going to do that let's hope that that is the case we're seeing an emergency status already in israel because of this and that's a nation that has a very high vaccination rate again they don't know what's coming so they're being ultra cautious Let's just hope that we get through this thing without having a really nasty spike in one direction or another. And, uh, you know, if you're one of those folks who's just really concerned and worried about it, the vaccine booster now is available to everybody in this country over age 18. If that is right for you, it's easy to do. And if it makes you feel better, then go for it. All right. So there you go. There's the latest on the Omicron virus variant. We will pay attention to it and keep you up to date. You know, I said just a moment ago that we all in the media sort of thrive on bad news. Well, we're going to meet someone who is very careful coming up next about making sure the health info you get is stuff you can trust. I'm better uh, after I saw an article about why you get up to pee in the middle of the night. It caught my attention. I wanted to know more, and that put me in touch with a health writer named Sarah Bradley. And we're going to meet her next on the Health Call Live Radio Hour here on WoWo. Welcome back to Health Call Live, where health information is free and the stethoscope is never cold. We're here to answer your questions at 447-1190. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Okay, so I admit it, I am a big old health nerd. I love studies and medical reports about, well, just everyday issues, but also odd conditions and the latest treatments, you know, what's new, what's different, what's coming. All that stuff really catches my attention, and I read dozens of of articles, studies, and reports each week. So recently, I came across an article on a condition called Nocturia that caught my attention, and that led me down the internet rabbit hole to Sarah Bradley. So Nocturia is the problem that comes along when you have to get up and pee a lot of times at night. So Sarah wrote this article. She's not a doctor. She's a freelance writer, published by a long list of newspapers, magazines, and websites. And I have noticed her byline over and over again as I skim through health stories. So I eventually reached out to her for a conversation about what's important to know about the health info that you read online. 
So I think it's important to know that a, a lot of it is accurate. A lot of it has been well-researched, has been uh, contributed to by experts in the field. Um, you know, for COVID, obviously that's infectious disease specialists, um, epidemiologists, people like that. Um, and a lot of it has been vetted through the editorial process as well by the editors of these different publications. Um, a lot of it is medically reviewed by uh, doctors that those publications hire to do that process for them before something goes to publication. Um, but there's also a good amount of it that doesn't meet those standards. Well, let's uh, let's jump in right away here with how I found you. So you wrote an article for a piece on a condition called Nocturia. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the headline was, What Causes Nocturia? 13 Reasons You're Constantly Getting Up to Pee at Night. So that yeah. caught my attention, that kind of information. And <laughs> as, as I started reading through the article and uh, looking more deeply, I found that you write an awful lot of content. So let's use this as an example. Um, how did you get this? assignment? How did you research it? And how, what do you want people to take away from this article? So uh, the editors of health are editors that I've worked with before on, on previous articles. And so uh, the editor reached out to me and said, I have a series of articles about nocturia and about some of the related conditions. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a little complicated to unpack, um, but there's something called nocturia. There's something called polyuria. There's something called nocturnal polyuria. Um, so it all gets a little bit complicated. Um, but she said, this is something that people are searching for. Would you like to write a few articles? Um, and I had actually was not that familiar with the term. So I needed to go and look it up a little bit for my, myself first. Mm -hmm. um, but then I accepted the assignment. So from there, my process usually on accepting an assignment is to kind of draft a very rough outline for what the article is going to look like. And a lot of that will come from the editor, um, letting me know what the publication wants to include. Uh, and then I will take a look online and I'll do some research to see what information I can find through my own credible sources on the internet and what I really need to have medical experts speak to. Um, and then I'll start reaching out to contacts, start trying to find doctors, um, other relevant experts. Um, it depends on the topic. Sometimes that can be psychologists and, and um, social workers and things like that. For this one, it was primarily urologists. Um, and I'll do phone interviews or email interviews with them and ask them the things that I need more clarity on that I really want confirmed information on rather than just looking it up on the internet. And then it's just a matter of putting the article together almost like a puzzle, taking what I've learned um, myself. Sometimes it's a topic that I have personal experience with, so sometimes I can add that in. Um, this time it wasn't, but sometimes it is. And, uh, and just sort of figuring out how to piece the uh, credible internet sources and the, and the facts and information I found there with the expert quotes and information that I've gotten from those interviews. So your process sounds a lot. Your process sounds a lot like mine, um, and I find it. It's it's uh, you know it's not difficult to find um, researchers and physicians and other people who are willing to talk on these topics. So I don't think. Uh, do you agree with me? You don't have to be a doctor to present credible information. I don't think so. It, it's not difficult. I would agree with that. I, I think that there's there's definitely. Um, it's a very symbiotic relationship between the health journalists and the medical experts and that, you know, we we need them and we rely on them to give us 
accurate information, um, but they also usually are looking for media opportunities as well. So I found that it's it really you're helping each other, and I don't find it that difficult to, to source um, experts willing to talk to me. Um, and I think that as long as you um, have a lot of attention to detail and you know where to look for those credible internet sources um, and, and you get these, these doctors to give you some information, I don't think that you have to be a doctor to present the credible information or to present a credible article. Now, I would never give medical advice, and I would hope no one would ever read one of my articles and use it um, in the place of, of medical information or medical advice from a doctor. Um, but I do think that, that with a certain amount of um, journalistic kind of know-how and, and the help of experts, that you can present accurate information in a way that's relatable to, to an audience. Yeah, I think you touched on several things there. Make it relatable, not a lot of uh, medical terms unless it's absolutely yeah. necessary. And... Um, yeah, you know, I agree with you that uh, we're not here to give medical advice, but information to right. help you form opinions and ask questions and ask better questions yeah. to the doctor. So just going back to this article, what causes me to be getting up to pee at night? What do I need to know about nocturia? So nocturia um, is needing to uh, is having the urge to use the bathroom more frequently at night. Um, now, what I learned, again, I, I had said I, I didn't know a lot about this topic going into it. I learned a tremendous amount. Um, and one of the main things I learned is that there's a similar condition called polyuria, um, where you also have to uh, urinate frequently. Um, but the difference between nocturia and polyuria is that with nocturia, you feel the urge to use the bathroom more frequently, in this case at night, mm -hmm. but you're not always necessarily having a more volume of urine. You're not always necessarily filling your bladder and needing to actually void a higher volume of urine. That happens with polyuria. Mm -hmm. We often see polyuria with other medical conditions like um, hypertension or cardiovascular problems. We see it with diabetes. Um, any of the conditions that actually cause you to have a higher output of urine can cause polyuria. Nocturia can be caused by everything from overactive bladder to um, just an enlarged prostate. It's a much more common uh, condition in people who are aging, you know, and just having kind of general um, issues with their, um, your, you know, urology, sort of that, that part of your body. Um, but they're, so they're related and they cause sort of similar problems, but they're not often um, coming from the same source or happening for the same reason. And that is freelance writer Sarah Bradley. We will check in with her periodically on the program going forward, I hope. We talked about a lot of things. You can watch more of that interview if you care to. It's uh, published now on our YouTube channel, soon up on this on the show website, which is healthcall.live. If you want to check that out or any previous interviews we've done, they're typically all posted there. Interesting that we talked about, Sarah and I talked about uh, how important it is to really kind of pay attention to trends that we see see in the media, it seems, I don't know, maybe you've noticed this, I certainly have, uh, that a, a narrative starts. People start focusing and talking about one subject, and then it kind of rolls through, oh, look, that website's getting clicks, so I'll publish it on my website. And, and then you kind of get into this whole trend narrative thing, and that's particularly true when it comes to diet stuff. And man, you can find a diet for every single cause and reason that you want to resolve, right? One thing that uh, she and I both kind of uh, came to agreement on, and that is we have talked to enough 
um, doctors and researchers, and there seems to be some real credibility between intermittent fasting and the Mediterranean diet. So those two things together, when you, you use intermittent fasting and the Mediterranean diet, even the uh, president of the American College of Cardiologists says that seems to be the most healthy way to manage your weight and your lifestyle. So, so there's a lot of information out there about both of those topics. And as she said, it's important to take a look at where is it sourced, who is it referring back to, and help, you, help guide you to some information that's going to be useful and meaningful. Uh, compilation kind of the weight of the evidence is how a lot of health decisions are made, and that works in your personal life as well. One thing to, to, to uh, talk about here is uh, an update on, we started earlier in the program about the Omicron virus, and just while we were on the air with you today, uh, there was an update from, I found this, the South African Medical Association chairwoman is reporting that this new virus does not seem to be causing serious disease. They're reporting mild disease without prominent symptoms. Mild muscle soreness, tiredness for a day or two, not feeling well. So maybe, just maybe, this virus that the headlines are screaming about that appears to be racing around the world isn't going to be as bad as everybody hopes. Got to watch that very closely. And like we were just talking about, health information changes fast online, so you need to pay attention to credible sources. But that comes from the head of the African South African Medical Association. Let's hope that that is the story for the Omicron virus, and that's a good place to leave the broadcast today. We'll see you next Saturday morning talking about an inexpensive form of hearing aids and what you can do to improve your hearing in general. And then also the latest developments in artificial joint technology, a fascinating topic that's going to help us all move so much better as we age. We cover it next week. You've been listening to Health Call Live. Watch a recording of today's program on the Health Call Facebook page or on the web at www.healthcall.live. Drop us a line to recommend a guest or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for another edition of Health Call Live on WoWo 1190 a.m. and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.